baptism. What a way to end the worship with a tremendous display of not just talent, but just uh, uh, the gift of music and the instruments that God has given us. I can't wait till we get to heaven and get to worship him uh, with all of the instruments. In fact, everything you heard, Vince, either he played one instrument live, but all of those instruments and sounds he put together and uh, just plays the electric Christmas uh, over all the other stuff. So that was great. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. None other than, none other than, no other place than this morning on Christmas Eve than this amazing passage in Luke chapter number 2. Now, for those of you that are our guests, I'm going to take about three minutes and just review what we've been doing. We have been in the middle of a Christmas series entitled Christmas is. And it, it, we're defining Christmas. We're, we're uh, kind of filling in the blanks here of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. The first Sunday, three weeks ago, three Sundays ago, we began the Advent season discussing Christmas is joy. Joy. And you know, uh, joy meaning this, that God has been gracious to us. Thanks, guys. I just saw you back there. Anybody need a worship guide? Raise your hand, and I'll keep talking. Just keep it up, and they're coming. Thanks, guys. You guys do so great at that. Wonderful. in the balcony as well. Christmas is joy, meaning God has been gracious to us. Listen, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the trials, in spite of the difficulties, we come to the realization during this time of the year, and, and really, Christmas is every day of the year for the believer, and that is this, God has been gracious to us. We understand that. In realizing that, we have joy. Not, not, not happiness, necessarily. I'm not always happy. There's times where I'm not happy. In fact, there's times when I'm sad. But you know what? There's never a time, or there needs not ever be a time, when I don't have joy. Because that comes from the Lord. And it's sustainable because of Him. Number two, we say Christmas is spelled L-O-V-E. Christmas is love. For God so loved the world that he gave. And the greatest gift that's ever been given is God's love. In fact, the very name of God is defined as love. God is love. And the only way that you and I can understand love is to receive God's love. And when we receive God's love, then we have this unbelievable ability to to express unconditional love to those around us, even those who hurt us. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why? Because he loved them. And then we said that Christmas, thirdly, is hope. I had a great time last week talking about this. This is the confident expectation of future blessings. This is the hope that says it's going to get better. It's going to get better, period. End of story, all the time. What are you going through? It's going to get better. What happened to you this week? It's going to get better. Uh, What happened to you 20 years ago? Hasn't it gotten better? It always gets better. In fact, it's going to end for the believer getting so good that we're going to spend an eternity in a place called heaven where they pave the streets with gold and there's no sin and no sorrow and no sadness. You talk about getting better. Hey, that's hope. Hope, the confident expectation of future blessings. This morning... We're going to talk about peace. I think I may have saved the best for last. Christmas is peace. In the Christmas story, it's an amazing story, and we're going to look at it just verse by verse in just a moment. But in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we 
we, we read of the birth of Jesus. And then in verses 8 through 14, we hear the angelic announcement uh, to the shepherds. And in these 14 verses, we find so many powerful truths. And this morning, we're going to focus in on the powerful truth that Christmas is peace. And we're going to use that reminder, that verse, that last verse in the Christmas story, verse 14. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. I want you to see it. It says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. All right. And on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased. You know, sometimes I know there, we we often quote the verse, glory to God in the highest and peace and goodwill uh, to all men. But the truth of the matter is, is men who don't know Jesus are not going to have peace. Peace comes to those who, with whom he is pleased. Those of us who have experienced the power of God, the grace of God, the, the salvation of God, begin to understand that he gives a peace. And so the message this morning to those of you who may not know Jesus as your Savior, and you're wondering, is there any hope? And you've kind of come to church this morning. It could be possibly this is the one time of the year you come to church with family. And if you are here, that is our blessing. We are so thankful you've come to this place, even if it is the only time you've come all year long. But we want you to know there is a peace that God can give you that doesn't just have to be a once a year thing, a once a, a once a uh, one week a year thing, but it can be a thing that comes to, to all men to whom have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So what the angels are telling us here, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace with those to whom he is pleased. What are they telling us? Well, they're telling us this, that the outcome of Jesus coming to this earth is that there will be peace on earth. That's the outcome. That's the whole reason that Christmas is peace. Because the reason why he came, the angels said, is to bring peace. Now, that doesn't mean peace on the planet, because if it does, aren't you kind of wondering what he's talking about here? Because we don't have peace on the planet. It means peace in the hearts of the people who have been deeply impacted by the reality that Jesus has come to the world. And that's why we're all here this morning. Most of us have been deeply impacted by the fact that Jesus came to the world. We wouldn't miss this for anything. In fact, tomorrow, before Christmas is celebrated by the exchanging of gifts, the majority, if not all of believers, are going to take time to recognize that the real purpose of Christmas is not the exchanging of gifts. We'll take time to make sure our kids understand that we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. And that's why we have peace. Because the reality is, reality is he's deeply impacted our lives. And I believe that peace is the antidote to pressure. Peace is the antidote to pressure. If you're here today and you say this, man, I've got a lot of pressure on me right now. I've got so many things going on in my life. You don't understand, Pastor. I've had a, uh, uh, a death in the family. I, I've been diagnosed with a, uh, a, a disease or someone in my family has been diagnosed with cancer or I've got loved ones that are far from God. I've got financial difficulties. I've lost my job. Preacher, you're going to tell me I can have peace. You don't understand all the pressure, all the stress that I am under. Well, I want you to know many of us feel that pressure. And most of us at times this year have been stressed out. 
And so let's begin with that. Let's be honest and confess that all of us understand that that pressure sometimes does mount in the Christian's life. And we find in the characters of the Christmas story, this story is filled with a lot of pressure. I don't want you to be deceived when you look at the little manger scene called affectionately during Christmas time, the nativity scene. You know, we see that as so peaceful. And we look at this nice little serene picture that we have under our tree or maybe somewhere displayed in our home with a nice little shack. And it's got a beautiful little uh, mom and a dad and a little baby and a perfect manger and little animals. Let me tell you something. It wasn't that way. It was a lot of pressure. A lot of stress going on in the Christian Christmas story. So we're going to look at that. Let, let's just define it like this. I feel pressure when? Are you ready? So first of all, let's, let's admit this, that we feel pressure when things happen suddenly. Would you agree? Things that are unannounced. Things that happen out of nowhere. Look at verse number one of our text for just a moment. If you have your Bibles turn to Luke chapter two, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So Caesar Augustus uh, puts out this decree and says, look, I, I need to do an audit to find out where our country is going to be able to set the budget and we're going to tax everybody. And so this is a very serious time. This is, this is coming at a time uh, when uh, people are unaware of this. They didn't expect it. In fact, uh, uh, you know, taxes can be somewhat stressful, if you know what I mean. And uh, we live in a, in, a, in a little day right now where there's supposedly this new tax plan. So much has been made of it. We'll see how this all works out. But there's been a lot of arguing and bickering and fighting on both sides and wondering, is this going to be a good thing, a bad thing? And, and so why? Because taxes are something that oftentimes provides stress and concern. And sometimes we, 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 we don't have a voice in it. We just, we just look at our paychecks and realize, man, that's a lot of money that's been taken out or, or it's better this year or it's worse this year. I've got to pay taxes. I don't have to pay taxes. I'm just trying to get you to see that in this, in this story, it all begins with taxes. And all the world is being taxed. There's this massive audit that is taking place. Have you ever had something happen to you that no one checked with you first? Has anybody ever experienced that? Something is happening to you, but no one asked you if it's okay. And that, when things like that happen, it's, it, there, there's pressure involved in that. There's stress involved in that. Now you add to that, number two, I feel pressure when things happen, not only suddenly, but when things happen frequently. We're not just talking about something that happens once. But in addition to that, something else happens. Look, if you would, please, in verse number three, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And so everyone's being taxed, you see, because back then you paid your taxes in the city in which you were born. But the problem is, and it's still a problem today, is very few people live in the place they were born. How many of you don't live in the place you were born? I, I, my hand's up, raise your hand. That's the majority, if not three-fourths of the auditorium. So can you imagine right now, if you were told, listen, tomorrow you've got to be in the place you were born to pay your taxes or to find out how much you're going to owe the government because we've got to figure out what the budget's going to be this year. And so they had to go. Well, the problem also was that Joseph in this story had a, a wife or a, 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 not a wife, but a, 
betrothed wife, in other words, someone who he was engaged to be married to, Joseph, and she was 10 seconds away from having a baby. I mean, she is great with child. Are you with me? So we got a man here that's got to go pay taxes. He's got to go into another city to pay taxes. His wife's about to have a baby. Now, what do you do when your wife's about to have a baby? When she's within a day of having a baby, do you leave her? No. You got to take her. Here's the issue. You don't have to take, you don't have to necessarily go uh, to take your whole family to pay taxes. You just have to have the leader of the house has to go. So what did he have to do in this situation when he traveled to Bethlehem? He had to take her with him. Now, I want you to imagine this. Because we're, we're, we were talking about Susanna being pregnant, and that's right during our family vacation. Guess what we're not doing this year? We're not taking Susanna far away from home when she's great with child. Are you with me? Well, I want you to imagine in this story here, look at it with me, if you, if you just, just follow along. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his betrothed wife, being great with child. This is a stressful story. I'm like, this is crazy. Poor Joseph. I mean, not only was he having to handle all the gossip and, and the whispering about, oh, he got her pregnant, can you believe that? Or she got pregnant by somebody else. He's going through all of this, these rumors and gossip. And then he's got to go pay taxes in the city in which he was born with a woman who is great with child. Things are just piling up. The pressure of life, they just start adding up and we get stress. Question, does that ever happen to you? Does anybody just ever have a lot of pressure and then, and then more pressure and then something else happens and it's just like, what's going on? Now, now sometimes adults have a hard time being completely honest. So I want to do something. Children are great at being honest. So I'm going to grab a little seat here. And if you're a child, come on up here. Let me read you a story. All right. So kids, come on up. Come on. They don't even know they're doing this. If you're a kid, come on up. Anybody 12 years old and younger that wants to hear preacher read them an incredible story, race up to the auditorium, sit around this desk, and we're going to illustrate to these grumpy adults that won't be honest about all the pressure they're under. Are you ready, guys? All right, ever have a seat, have a seat, have a seat. I'm the best story reader you've ever heard. We are going to read the book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. All right. This is so cool. Are you ready? Here we go. All right. Look at the first picture. And here we go. Okay. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, very bad day. At breakfast... Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. And Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal. But my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I moved to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. 
At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Mayo was his next best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds and mother's, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of a jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was. Because after school, my mom took us out to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to go to, to, to get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And, that, and then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said it was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby... My mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody. No one even answered. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the shoe man said, we're all sold out. They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books at his desk, but I was careful as I could be except for my elbow. He also said don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took, my, took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The, the cat wants to sleep with Anthony and not me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But my mom said some days are like that even in Australia. Do you like this book? All right. Well, you can go back and be seated and we'll do another story another time. Give him a big hand. The truth is, as they're seated, we all have days like that. Did you get the picture, adults? Things pile up and more things pile up and pressure comes when things happen suddenly and when things happen frequently and I feel pressure thirdly when things happen continuously. They just keep happening and happening and happening. In fact, can I illustrate in our story? I mean, 
this beautiful nativity scene is getting not as beautiful as it once was. Look at this, verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Oh, great. Now I'm going to have to have a baby where I'm paying my taxes. And, and they even forgot the reservations at the end. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And there, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came round about them and the glory shone about them. And, and they were sore afraid. I mean, this story just keeps adding up more pressure, more stress, more fear in the Christmas story. Well, these are regular people, by the way. Joseph was a regular guy, Mary was a regular girl, and you guys are regular people, and I'm just a regular preacher, and I've got problems too. In fact, even right now, if I thought about it for just a minute, I've got so much to do by the end of the year to get ready for next Sunday. I have no secretary. I have nobody here to help me. Everybody's going on vacation but me. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. All of us feel that. But wait a minute. What did I say the antidote to pressure was? Peace. So I got to find some. I got to find some peace. The angel said in this passage where all of this was going on, taxes and, and stress and, and, and my wife is on a, a mule and, and she, 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 she's having labor pains and now I got to go to this inn and they forgot our reservations. And, and the angel says, glory to God in the highest. And peace. Peace. So. I feel peace when, let me give you some times when we feel peace. Are you ready? Number one, I feel peace when I experience conversion. Conversion. Now that's peace with God. In fact, what's, lo- what's awesome about the word peace is there are different references to peace in Scripture that describe different reasons why peace is so awesome. And the first reason why peace is so awesome is because we can experience and when we are converted, and that is defined in Scripture as peace with God. Let me give you a verse, Romans 5, 1. On the screen it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, that's conversion. That's when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We, we accept His payment for our sin, and we are justified by faith, and we have peace with God. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No matter what happens to me, no matter what goes wrong, no matter what stress I'm under, I know this, 24-7, 365, I have peace with God. Nothing will ever change that. Nothing. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but I'm going to heaven. I mean, you can say what you want to say. You can, you can criticize. You can, you can be ugly. I can, go, I can pay more taxes. Uh, the, the government can, can do this or, or not do this. But at the end of the day, guess what? I'm saved. And there's no doubt about it. And there's something about knowing that that gives me peace with God. This is the absence of conflict. This is the absence of war. This is the absence, church. Of wrath. Because the wrath of God abides on all those who do not know Jesus. They're at war with God when they don't know him. Some don't understand that. Some don't know that. But, but there's peace with God. That removes the conflict. 
you know, I, I feel sorry for doctors because sometimes doctors have to walk into a room and diagnose things and give really bad news. They, they, they ask us if we would be seated, and then they proceed to tell us what's wrong with us. And sometimes they even tell us maybe how long we have to live or what we're going to have to do to get better. And Man, doctors have a hard task sometimes. But you know what? Preachers have the same task. Because what I've got to tell you today is that you've got a problem, and we all had a problem, and, and that problem is this. We're all sinners. And whether you like that or not, I mean, you are a sinner, and I am a sinner. And because of our sin, we have been separated from God. And if we die in our sin, if I'm walking into your room and diagnosing your problem, if, I'm, if, if you're walking into my life and diagnosing my problem, it is this, that I am a sinner. We're all born into this world in sin. That's bad news, isn't it? But it's just the truth. And yet, we can make peace with God. Has anybody ever said to you, asked you the question, have you made peace with God? I've walked into many a hospital room where the person has said to me, preacher, the good news is this, my grandfather's made peace with God. What does that mean? That means, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to have a conversion experience. And the solution to our problem of sin is who? Jesus. Jesus is the solution. Not works. Not works. If you've come to the table with works, you still have a big problem. And that is you're going to have to pay for your sin because there's not enough righteousness that you can do. Not good works. and Not the law, but Jesus it's accepting the free gift of salvation. So let me ask you sincerely, have you made peace with God? In the balcony, on the main floor, have you made peace with God? Just take a moment and in your heart, answer that question. Have you acknowledged your sin problem? Have you accepted Christ as the solution for your sin? Do you have peace with God? That's what the angels said. That was the angelic announcement. Glory to God in the highest. And I love peace to those with whom he is pleased. Number two, I feel peace, secondly, when I experience covenant. Conversion and covenant. That is described as peace from God. Peace from God is a description of the covenant relationship we have with God. And that is this, that once we enter into a conversion experience, once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it, Arkansas, ain't changing. We're not talking about a contract. We're talking about a covenant. Contracts can be broken. Covenants cannot be broken. And when you have peace with God, you then can have peace from God. Let me show it to you in Scripture. In fact, there is more about peace from God than any other peace in all the Bible. Look at it. Romans chapter 1 verse 7 puts it like this. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Only those who are loved by God. Only those who are called to be saints. Those who have accepted Christ. To all of those, grace to you and peace. Peace. From God, our Father, 
and our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 1 and verse 4 says, To Titus, my true child in the common faith. To Titus, my child in the faith. You've been converted, Titus. Grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. I love 2 Timothy 1, 2. It puts it best. To Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God. If you have had a conversion experience, you are one of his children. This is amazing, isn't it? Peace from God. And then 1 Corinthians 1, 3 says, grace to you and peace from God. And 2 Corinthians 1, 2 says, grace to you and peace from God. And Galatians 1, 3 says, grace to you and peace from God. Every, nearly every single one of Paul's writings begins with, Grace to you and peace from God. Grace to you and peace from God. In other words, if you've been converted, it ain't changing. You're in a covenant relationship. You not only have peace with God, but you have peace from God. Church, this is amazing. This is phenomenal. This is the antidote to the pressures in life you and I are facing. Covenant relationship with God means nothing will ever change. He's the same today. He's the day, same yesterday. And he is the same, say it with me, forever. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I've got a great God. And though sometimes life changes, he never changes. And though sometimes Life throws me a curveball and things don't go the way I thought they should go. And then they pile up and then they pile up and keep happening. And then I have a very terrible, horrible, bad day. And, and then I stop and remember, I'm converted. I'm a Christian forever. All of a sudden, there's a peace that comes over me. It's a peace from God because I have peace with God. And then thirdly, I feel peace when I experience confidence. That in the Bible is the peace of God. The peace of God. Now, what is the peace of God? Well, it is described in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which I like to say it like this. You ready for Erica Pacey's translation? And the peace of God, which blows your mind. That's, that's just the way I like to put it. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep. That's critical there. That, that's critical. That word keep means protect. It will protect your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. What is peace? Peace is the calm assurance that what God is doing is best. The calm assurance. Uh, my son and his wife, I wouldn't announce this had, had not they been transparent about it already, but yesterday they found out that, that their pregnancy uh, ended in a miscarriage. And <clears throat> Tiffany's not here today. She's not feeling well at all. And obviously she's going through some emotions. But if you read her post yesterday, and if you read Joe's post, and if you talked to Joe this morning, He's in good spirits. He didn't call this morning and say, Dad, you know, it's just kind of rough. You know, this is probably one of those Sundays I just don't need to come to church. It's tough, isn't it? Many of you have had miscarriages. Our family's had one. I talked to a lady today. She had two. 
I would venture to say 30 to 40% of the women sitting in this building have experienced what Tiffany did yesterday morning when she woke up. But peace is the calm assurance that for whatever reason God decided to take that baby home, it's best. Doesn't mean we're happy about it. Doesn't mean we we can't cry. Doesn't mean we can't even feel somewhat discouraged about it and we're human but it means at the end of the day we know it's going to be okay God's in control that's peace it doesn't matter what happens it doesn't matter what I what news I get in the mail tomorrow or not tomorrow because the mail's not running the next day it doesn't matter what the doctor says It doesn't matter what someone else says about me. I have something guarding my heart. Something is guarding my heart. Look at that verse again, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, which blows your mind, will guard, will keep, will protect your heart. You can't imagine this peace. You can't imagine it. You're probably, has anybody ever said this? I don't know how they're going. To, how are they taking it so well? That's horrible what happened. They're having a, that's horrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. How are they doing that? It's called the peace of God. Anybody ever experienced it? Anybody ever experienced a peace that you just couldn't explain? Has anybody ever had to say to someone when they asked you, how are you, how are you handling this? And you've had to say, I, I, I really honestly, I... Uh, God, God, God's good. God, I don't know. I just, you know, I've been reading. I read yesterday and I've been reading stories here lately, especially during this time of the year. Fox News uh, did a story on the Pittsburgh Steeler player. How have you heard about that player that has been paralyzed on the Steelers? Anybody heard about it? Yeah, I mean, his spinal injury is horrible. And so I read the dad's story, and basically the dad just said this. He said, listen, it's tough, and we've got a long road to recovery. We're glad he's alive. He'll probably never walk again, but we just have a peace. We're not mad at football. We're not angry at football. We're not going to pick at football and sue the NFL. We just believe God's in control. And whatever happened to our son, there's a reason for it. And so you and I say, that's crazy. I don't know, man. I'll tell you what, man. It uh, looks like a perfect time to sue the NFL and get millions and live happily forever after. He deserves it. Well, may, maybe, maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe he should. Maybe he will. Maybe you should. But at the end of the day, that's not going to give peace. Money doesn't give peace. Peace comes from God. The peace of God. This is where we get off the emotional roller coaster. This is where we start talking and making sense. Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God and be thankful. Let it rule in your hearts. That means, that word rule, there's a strong word. It means referee. You know what a referee does on the basketball court? 
The referee blows his whistle and says, ah, it ain't happening here. Technical foul. Foul, free throw line, whatever. The referee is constantly ruling, making sure that junk stays out of the game. No, you can't do that. No, no, you can't run into a guy when he's going up for a lap. No, you can't slap a guy when he shoots the ball. Do you know what the peace of God does? Here's what it does when it rules in your life. Worry, you're not allowed. Sorry, excuse me. See you later. Anxiety, hit the road, Jack. We, we ain't going there. We got God. We're not stressing out. We're not giving up. We got God. Excuse me. The peace of God rules in my life. Stay away. I, I, I'm sticking with God. I'm, 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 I'm staying with this. God knows best. I ain't cussing out the world. I ain't suing everybody around me. I'm not getting bitter. I'm letting the peace of God keep all that out. And I'm staying right here with God. He's in control. That's peace. In closing, let me give you three things to increase our peace. By the way, isn't it amazing that increase rhymes with peace? Just saying. All right. Three things to increase our peace. If we learn, number one, acceptance, we will increase our peace. We would know peace with God more, peace from God more, the peace of God more, if we learned acceptance, accepting the fact, number one, that I am a sinner. Accept it. We're all sinners. It's not being critical. It's not like, I can't believe he called me a sinner. I would too. Don't be offended. It's okay. We all have a sin problem. Number two, accepting the fact that every day will not be a great day. You okay with that? Every day is not going to be a great day. Every day is not going to be a great day. Accept that. It's just, you say, but preacher, I've had like 10 really bad, horrible, terrible days. Well, tomorrow's going to get better. What if it doesn't? Well, then the next day will get better. I mean, quit arguing with God. It's okay. Not every day has to be a great day. Number three, accept the fact that God is in control. I think this is the critical one. This is the one that, I think this is the one that solves all the stress, really. It's when you realize that God is in control. Peace is accelerated by acceptance. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So what do you need to accept this morning? What do you need to accept? Number two, if we learn to focus, we would increase our peace. Look at this verse, Colossians 3, 1. I'm almost done. If ye then be risen with Christ... How many of you have been risen with Christ? You know him as your Savior. You know one day you're going to rise just like he rose. Okay, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Get your eyes on Jesus. Quit looking at the circumstances around you. No, right there. Right there. It's okay. I want, I want you to stop saying amen, son, so we can focus, okay? I know you mean well, but shh. Just for a second. Focus. Focus on things which are above. You see, sometimes we take our focus off of Jesus and we start focusing on the 
problem. I know a lot of people that focus on the problem. You know how I know they focus on the problem? Because they talk about their problems. You having a good day? Well, in spite of the problems, I mean, you know, it's been better. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm doing okay, I guess, you know. I mean, you know. Can we do a little better than that? Can anybody say when somebody says, how are you doing today? Can anybody say, I'm saved. Going to heaven. Born again. <laughs> Love Jesus. <laughs> are you with me? You see, that verse, seek those things which are above, is a verse that says this, focus on Jesus, not your problems. Somebody asks me often, how, how do you keep such a... How do you keep such a good spirit? Do you you, you, you ever get down? Yes, I get down. I do. I just don't focus on that. I get down. I get a little discouraged. I just don't focus on it. I focus on Jesus. Because if I focused on all my problems, I would be depressed in bed. You know, I mean, honestly, there are enough problems in all of our lives not to ever get out of bed. But the truth of the matter is, is that when you focus on Jesus, there's enough to rejoice about to keep getting out of bed every day. And doing what God's called you to do. Number three, if we learned more gratitude, we would increase our peace. Look at Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. Is everything like, what is the definition of everything? Does anybody know? The definition of everything is everything. I mean, really. It's like the word is the word is the definition. So, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. So, in everything, I'm giving thanks. Doesn't matter what the news is. Man, I heard you had a flat tire. Yeah, praise God, man. (laughs) Uh, God's good, isn't he? You had a flat tire. That's not good. Huh? I mean, it depends on how you look at it, man. At least I didn't get get a head-on collision and get killed. I mean, hey, you know, God's good. I had a flat tire. I fixed it. Some people worry about flat tires. The way I look at it is somebody's got to keep these flat tire businesses in business. If you don't have a flat, look, somebody in our church may be be saying, man, I love it when people get flat tires. It's wonderful. (laughs) I'm glad we could help you guys out a little bit. Amen? You see, it's all in how you look at it. That's why I love, like we were in New Orleans, right? Hey, you you walk everywhere you go. And one day I walked 20,000 feet. With Glorianne, you walk everywhere. You got to keep walking. If you don't walk, if she sits down still, she gets in. She got to walk, walk, and walk some more. So we walk twenty thousand feet. That's what I love about these these steps. And you get them on your phone. I I look at that like I'm like tired. My legs are killing me. I look at I walk seven miles today. Yes, Amen. Keep that belly thin, Mark. Anyway, sorry. And uh, I'll just... Okay, all of you guys that are going to say after the service, man, you dissed Mark right in the middle. I know who to diss and who not to diss, okay? Mark will get me later. Don't worry, okay? I'll have a flat tire when I go to my car after the service. And Nathan Day will fix it, okay? I know what I'm doing. It's okay. You know... I walked Glory Ann. Now, here's what's amazing. We, I had to go, we had to park uh, the, the vehicle that we brought so I didn't have to pay 50 bucks a day for parking downtown. My dad got me a Catholic church. He's in with the Catholic church. 
He got me a Catholic church to park it at. The problem was the Catholic church was 1.1 miles away from the hotel. So every morning, or every day that we would go get the vehicle to go to my dad's, I would walk to the vehicle. And then at night, Joe or Zoe would walk back with me because it's more dangerous. I was walking through the hood, and you don't want to do that by yourself at night in New Orleans. So on Friday morning, I told Caroline, I'm taking Gloria Ann. And she said, well, it's like a 1.1-mile walk, and she walked slow. I said, yeah, it'll probably take us an hour to get there, so we've got to leave an hour early. But I get a lot of steps in, and, and it'll be great. So we start walking, me and Glow. She never complained one time. The boys complained. You know, oh, man, I'm going. No, Joe didn't complain. <laughs> Zoe's like, you know, <laughs> Gloria Ann's like, ah! So I walk with Gloria Ann. Now, if you've ever walked with Gloria Ann, you know this to be true. She says hi to everybody. She says hi to people that you don't want her to say hi to. Well, in New Orleans, early in the morning, guess what everybody is that's walking the streets? Drunk. Okay. They're gone. They're gone. I mean, they're just, yeah, homeless and drunk. Right. I mean, there you go. Oh, here's Gloria Ann. Hi. And here they are. Hi, little girl, you know, and, she must have hugged so many alcoholics that morning. They were loving it. I'm wishing a Merry Christmas. I can't stop her. I can't stop. Don't say hi, you know. We had so much fun. That mile walk ended up being the highlight of my trip. What I thought was going to be the most inconvenient, negative, terrible, horrible, very bad thing ended up being one mile I could spend with Zoe talking all the way back. Joe and I had great conversations about marriage and life and family. So the one mile negative thing turned into the coolest part of the trip. I got to spend two or three hours with my kids. Gloria got to say hi to 75 drunk people. Whoa. This is living, folks. You say, Pastor, how do you pull stuff like that out of that? I mean, I just can't. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It takes focus. It just takes focus. It takes stopping, looking at Jesus, focusing on the situation, and saying, God, you're in control. Why is this happening to me? Why am I doing this? And God will start revealing to you his purposes. I promise you, it's amazing. Peace. Now, to close the service, I want to ask the worship team to come. It's 12.04. We're going to get out early. But I want to ask the worship team to come. They're going to sing just a really quiet version. In fact, guys, if you can... Maybe make some of it instrumental. You know, it's up to you. But if you can, I didn't ask him to do this, but just let's sing that beautiful name, but let's do some of it instrumental. Because you know what I want to do? I just want to have three or four minutes of peace. Is that okay? Just like where we just focus on God in the service. Where we stand in just a moment, and some of you might want to come to the altar and just get... Just just have a moment of peace. Just thinking about the beautiful name of Jesus. Just, I'm not trying to be spooky right now, okay? I'm not talking about, mm, nobody, I need no yoga up here, okay? No yoga. But just where you just take a deep breath. Man, God, you're awesome. You're awesome, God. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the birth of Jesus. My problems aren't as big as I thought they were. You're in control, God. You're good. It's, it's all good, God. 
Thank you, Jesus. Lola's in heaven. Lola's in heaven. She's walking streets of gold. She got to go to heaven during her favorite time of the year, Christmas. Richard, mom's in heaven. She's with dad. She's with dad. That's incredible. She's with your daddy right now. She's, they're both worshiping Jesus. You say, yeah, but they died. I know, but they're in heaven. What are you going to focus on? So let's pray, and then as you feel led to come or worship, three or four minutes, that's all. And let's just have some, some peace. If you've never experienced this peace, if I'm kind of blowing your mind right now, if you're like, whoa, dude, this is not even possible, right? I mean, you're going to tell us after the service that this was like a skit, right? No, no. No, this is real. This is real. This peace is real. And if you don't have it, I want to invite you to come forward. I'm going to stand right there. Doug's going to stand right there. And we're going to be ready to make sure that this morning you have an opportunity to to make your peace with God. If you need it. If you've never experienced what I'm talking about. If you don't know that you've had conversion. I want you to come. Father, I love you and I thank you.